The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Hey, uh, if you're new, my name is Kyle. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Get the great joy uh, of leading this, this wonderful church family with a great team. Uh, we are in a series called Fearless, and we're going through uh, basically Ephesians 6, uh, 10 to 20. It's the idea of there being this spiritual battle. Um, and I, I spoke about on the first week that often in churches we can kind of we can move towards two errors. So sometimes we kind of swing one way and everything's demonic and everything's a spiritual attack and everything's just the devil, blah, blah, blah. And so we don't want to go that route because there is personal responsibility. There are things that you and I are called to do. We're called to eat well and look after resources and treat people well and do relationships well. There are practical things that the Bible gives us. Uh, but also, we don't want to overswing and go the other way, where there is no devil, there is no threat, there is no spiritual attack. Uh, the devil doesn't really exist, and so we can just chill out and relax. It's like, no, in this particular passage uh, that we're going to read together, Paul, uh, he kind of finishes this book with this exhortation to be reminded that, hey, guys, in, in, sort of in living out your faith and working out your faith and being a Christian, be aware that the enemy is real. And he doesn't like you and he doesn't have a plan for you that is good. Um, and so what I want to do, I want to read through this whole passage and then we're just going to look today at the breastplate of righteousness. So this should come up on the screen for us if you don't have your Bibles. If you do, we are in Ephesians 6. You can open up your phones too and just go to your screens. Uh, as long as it's not watching the lines or something, that's fine. It says this, it says, finally. So this is Paul finishing. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because this is real and because this is a part of what it means to live life in the world, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Now, Pastor Jimmy opened that up last week. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes, for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We're going to do that today, right? We're going to try and do more of that in our church life to actually pray for one another. And also for me that uh, words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel of which I am an ambassador in the chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So what Paul does is he he doesn't just tell us to be strong and just to do better. He tells us to be strong in the power of God's might and to put on God's armor. And so there are these sort of pictures throughout the Old Testament of God having these different armors. You, if you read the book of Isaiah, you'll see a whole lot of these in there. But the idea today is that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so we're going to look at three things. We want to look at what is the breastplate, what is righteousness, and how do we actually put it on? What does that look like practically? Okay, so number one, what is the breastplate? Well, this one is probably pretty clear, right? A breastplate is something that goes over your torso. And what is it to protect? 
Sorry? Is it, yeah, it's a visitor. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's your vital organs, right? The, the idea of having a breastplate in war is to protect your heart, your lungs, your kidney, your liver. It's, it's all the vital organs of the person. And so the Bible says that the, the most important part, the most vital organ to a Christian is the heart. The heart is that immaterial part of you. It's not the, the beating heart. It's not the physical heart. The heart is what the Bible would kind of say is where you think from, where you feel from, where your will is. It's how you experience and interpret everything. So Paul is saying, hey, Christian, if you're a Christian, you're in a spiritual battle for your heart. Guard it. Protect it. Put something on to look after it. Proverbs 4.23 puts it this way. It says, keep or guard, protect your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, everything comes out of your heart. There is a battle, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, for your heart, for your affections, for how you think about God and the world and how you feel about God and the world. Everything in this world is coming for your heart. Everything the enemy has is coming for your heart. And God wants you to protect and guard it. And to do so with all vigilance. And so how do we do that? How do we protect this spiritual organ? Well, it's the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is the thing that will guard our heart. It'll guard our soul. So what is, what is righteousness? Now, righteousness sounds like a very Christianese term, doesn't it? It's like I, I, I don't, I've got a lot of neighbors. I've never asked them uh, anything about their righteousness. They've never asked me about my righteousness. It's not usually a word that we use in our common vernacular in our culture. But the reality is, is all of us, whether Christian or not a Christian, is actually living a life desiring righteousness. If you are now a Christian, before you were Christian, you desired righteousness. Righteousness literally is rightness. It means to be approved, to be accepted, to be presentable. It means to measure up. So think about it like this, just some practical ways in our ordinary culture. Um, when you were sort of finishing school and you wanted to get into a particular university, let's say you're applying for Harvard or the nearest closest thing to us, UQ, okay, whatever it is in our particular context, right? You work really, really hard, you do all the study, you, you prep, uh, you, you, do, you, know, you do all the exams, you do all the assessments, and then eventually you apply to UQ or you apply to Harvard or you apply to MIT or whatever it might be, right? Righteousness is when you go and apply for and then you get the letter back that says you are in. You have been approved. You have been acceptable. We see you as presentable. You are now accepted. That's what it means to be righteous. You've, you've been examined and you've passed the test. Okay, let's go another practical one. For some of us in the room, this is really, really applicable now. For some of us, it was applicable a little while ago. But that moment when you were in that relationship with that person and you were in the friend zone and you're like, well, we're in the friend zone, but I'm kind of feeling like I want something that's a bit more than the friend zone. 
And so you have to, at this point, you're sort of like, we've got this in common. We laugh. She's the only one that's ever laughed at my jokes. I need to keep that. How do I? And I want more from her. And then at some point, you have to go and have a conversation, which is about defining this relationship to see whether they want more like you want more. And so you put it out there and you kind of have this conversation. And they say to you, I feel the same way. I find you acceptable. I approve you. I find you presentable. And I would like to define the relationship as more than being in the friend zone. So you walk around going like this, like, oh, God, I can't believe it. I'm out of the friend zone. And then like me, you're like, dang it. If I leave her on her own for too long, within about 48 hours, she's going to work out that she made a really bad decision. So let's get a ring on that sucker. Let's make this happen fast. And then you stuff up because they're like, whoa, dude, we just talked about getting out of the friend zone. Now you're trying to lock this thing down. I'm like... How do I keep you? You're the first person who laughed at my jokes and actually let me date. That's amazing. How do we feel in these moments? You put in that tender and it gets passed. It gets approved. You put in that resume and you get the job. You talk to a bunch of people about planting a church in North Lakes and replanting and a few of them say, we're in. You're like, oh, geez. okay, now what do we do? You know, that is the feeling, the experience of being righteous. You have been examined. You have passed that test. Somebody else approves you. Somebody else sees you and says, presentable, acceptable. So in the Christian sense, what we believe is that this is something that not only does the human heart need with other humans, but this is something that every single human soul needs with God. Because we were made by God and we're made for God. But we have a problem. Unlike in my dating relationship with my then girlfriend, now wife, I could hide a lot of things for a while. I could put on the, the best version of me. It took a long time before I picked my nose in front of Carly. It took a long time for me just to let sort of the, those manly things just sort of happen, if you catch in my drift on that. I smelt good. I looked good at all times. And I could do that enough for her to at some point go, hey, he's all right. And then 10 years in the marriage, I'm like, sweet, you're locked in now. He's going to let the sucker go. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. Look at me. I'm still looking good, still smelling good. Am I right? Yeah, thank you. My wife's not here to give me an amen. At least somebody else gave me an amen. Okay. So we have this problem of the fact that we're not always righteous and God can see all things at all times. And so we can't put on proverbial makeup for God. It doesn't work. This is what uh, Pastor Jimmy showed us last week. Is This is kind of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They were right with God. They experienced righteousness with God. It says they were naked and unashamed. That meant that God sees all things about them. They are fully known yet fully accepted. Sin enters the story and now they run and they hide and they try to cover up. They try to make themselves more presentable and God says that's not going to cut it. And so in the Christian worldview... We need something. We need a solution because you and I, whether you're Christian or you're not a Christian, we can't make ourselves presentable to God. So the Bible gives us two incredible solutions. 
They are two sides of this coin called righteousness. So what God does is God gives us two answers to this problem. The first is this thing called imputed righteousness. Now, imputed sounds like a big theological term. Literally, it just means credited to your account. Okay, It's the idea, and Pastor Jimmy again kind of hit on this last week, it's the idea that you and I need this sense of being legally right with God. We, we stand before a judge and we have a record which is not up to scratch, a record which says guilty because we have all fallen short. We've all messed up. And what Jesus has done, Jesus went to a cross, he died a death for us, and then he rose to new life and he gives us his record, his resume. So now if you are here and not a Christian, you don't bring your resume to God and ask him to accept you. That's not what makes someone a Christian. What makes someone a Christian is they go, I know my resume doesn't stack up, so I'm going to receive Jesus' account, Jesus' record. And that goes onto my account. And then the judge says, not guilty. Anyone here ever had to stand before a judge? I have. Many years ago. Just coming into the Christian faith, made a a silly decision, had to basically get put in lockup for a little while, had the fingerprints, the mugshot done, and that's why I'm your pastor. (laughs) And essentially, uh, I had to, to go to a judge and I had to sit there before a judge who then read out my record. And one of the worst feelings in my entire life, a judge said, he's guilty. And I received 280 hours community service. That was fun. 12 months of seeing a probation officer once a week, 52 visits to a probation officer, just making sure I wasn't a serial killer. It was awesome. And then I had, I'd lost my license for, for 12 months. The worst feeling I've ever had is seeing a judge rule over me and say guilty. The best feeling I've ever had is come before God, the one who knows more than what I did in that one accident, sees all of my life, and he says, not guilty. The freedom that comes with God saying, I don't view you in light of your past. I don't view you based on what you do. I look at my son, and I view you through the lens of him And he is perfect. So now I say, not guilty. Free to go. Walk free. No shame. No condemnation. This is what you can have as a Christian. You can walk completely free. Romans 8.1 puts it this way. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is not something that God just wants to be objectively true. God wants this to be something subjectively felt. We sing songs that talk about this, songs that say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust in the sweetest frame, but wholly on Jesus' name. So this is the idea of imputed righteousness. And if you are in the room and a Christian, this is yours. You never need to fear God. He looks at you through his son, Jesus. So the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, Hebrews 13, Hebrews 10, come boldly into the throne. You're like, yeah, but I'm, 
I'm struggling with this and I got this. Come boldly into the throne. Jesus is your righteousness. Come. So that's the imputed righteousness. The other side of the coin is imparted righteousness. This is the righteousness that's not simply credited to our account, but actually placed into our hearts by the Spirit of God. So it's Jesus' righteousness, not just on our account, but in our heart that God then wants to work out of us so that we actually start to live like Jesus over time. So verses like Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I grew up in a church which was just always telling me what to do. Do better, work harder, improve that, do more of that. What I wasn't told was this part. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's the idea that it's not me just trying to better me and do better. It's me working with God who is saying, listen, I've placed within you by my spirit, fruit of the spirit. So you can love more. You can be more gentle. You can be more kind. You can be more faithful. You can have more self-control, not just by going in and of yourself and trying to muster that stuff up, but actually by leaning in and believing and trusting that God has placed this in you. It's like a baby. I've got four children. And when all of my children were born, they had something within them that had the ability to walk. They had the anatomy. They had the structure, the bone, the muscles. It was in them. They then had to learn how to work that out. And over time, as we've got little bubs everywhere here, they sort of start to push and crawl. And over time, they start to then walk that thing out. They never work to earn their legs, to earn the bones, to earn the muscles. But there is an effort of working with God to work out what he has already placed in. And this is the idea of imparted righteousness. And God does not separate the two, but the order matters. It is not live, work, then God accepts. Do better, be, be more humble, be more loving, be more holy, then God accepts you. It's the flip side. It's no, no, he loves you, he accepts you, he approves you, he sees you as presentable. Now in light of that, start to actually live that. If you get the order wrong, you will be crushed you will be discouraged. The enemy will say to you, listen, God doesn't love you. Why? Look at how you live. The opposite is true. No, no, no. God loves you. Don't keep living. The order matters. And if you don't get this order right, you'll never give yourself grace. And if you've been a Christian for a little while, you will know that not all of these things in our lives that we are trying to grow in just happen. My dad was an alcoholic. When he became a Christian, day one, never took a drop. Still to this day hasn't. Heineken's brought out like a 0% alcohol thing, and he kind of occasionally will drink his 0% alcohol Heineken little thing. Uh, but my dad has never touched a drop of alcohol again in his life. My mum was a Christian the exact same time. It took her ages and ages and ages for her to quit smoking. It was something that she didn't want to do. It took her about two years. Sometimes God just goes poof and things come off our lives. Majority of the time, it takes time. Just like a baby, it takes time for them to learn how to walk. And we don't, we don't discipline children. We don't condemn children because they're struggling to walk. We encourage them. You have to learn to do that to yourself. 
you need to remind yourself that you are not who you want to be. You are not the man you want to be. You're not the woman you want to be. You're not the husband you want to be. You're not the, the wife you want to be. But also, you're not who you used to be. Yeah, I'm up there, but I'm not there. And this encourages me to keep walking towards there. So how do we put this righteousness on? I want to give you just a couple of examples, but I want to remind you. The enemy, his tactics, the accusation, deception, and temptation, right? He's looking for holes in your armor. That's what he's looking for. He's trying to get into your life. We kind of looked at this in, in week one. He wants to get a foothold in there so that eventually he can get a stronghold, a fortified place in your life. And so the idea of this defensive armor is to protect ourselves. So let's go back to that verse in Proverbs chapter 4. It says this. It says, Keep your heart, protect it, guard it with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Well, how do we do that, Solomon? Here's how we do that. We watch our speech. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. We watch... We're careful, we're considerate of our focus. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. We watch our thoughts, ponder the path of your feet. Let all of your ways be sure and we watch our direction. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. How do you put on righteousness? You watch your speech, you watch your focus, you watch your thoughts and you watch your direction. This means you have to be alert, right? This takes some effort, amen? Yep, I got one person who wants to amen me. I'm really, really appreciating them. So let me give you a couple of examples, all right? Let's go with this accusation. So here's how the enemy works. The enemy comes in and he says something to you like, huh, Acts 2, wind of the spirit, just go with it. It's cool. Some weird stuff's about to happen, people. It's going to freak you all out. It's going to freak me the heck out. Um, accusation comes in. Look at you. All pretending to be holy and righteous on Sunday. Are oh, you singing those songs? Huh. How was your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? You know those thoughts that you have that nobody else sees or hears? God hears. God knows. And he is not impressed with you. Accusation. And then all of a sudden you start to feel, dang, I shouldn't worship. I shouldn't sing. That's right. I am like, yeah, I do. I love you, Lord. But I really hate her. That's what goes on in our hearts, right? We know what goes on in our minds. We know what goes on in our hearts. And the enemy goes, because you have those thoughts, don't come to God. God doesn't accept you. God doesn't approve you. God doesn't see you as presentable. And then what happens? We stop talking to God. We stop praying. We feel guilty about singing because our lives don't match up with what we're sort of saying. And what God says is, no, 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 listen. Do not be condemned. Don't listen to the accuser. The thing that I want for you is for you to bring that and come to me. I want you to sing to me because as you sing to me, that's going to transform your heart to not hate her. 
This is why Jesus tells, tells us to pray for our enemies. It's really, really hard to hate someone you genuinely pray for. So what, what God would say is, listen, if that is true, allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and go, yeah, that thought's not good. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to downplay that. But I'm also gonna, not going to let that condemn me and push me away from God because God's face is shining towards me. God wants me to come to him. The only way to beat sin, the only way to change is to turn. And so the enemy goes, look, be ashamed, run and hide from God. And Jesus says, no, don't run and hide from me. I am the one who will transform you. My face is towards you. I love you. Consider a few things. One potential way I've learned to determine whether these are just my own thoughts or these are the enemy's thoughts is to think whether they're first or third person. Do I hear these as, you're a loser, you're a failure, you can't, or do I hear them in more the first person, I'm a loser. You see, if it's in third person, it's possible the enemy is talking to you. I'm pretty sure you're not all hip-hop artists who speak about yourselves in the third person. All right? If you're hearing it in the, in the first person, it probably means you've been hearing it in the third and now you're agreeing with it in your mind. So now you have to watch your speech. Watch your thoughts. Are you agreeing with the enemy? Because God doesn't say that you're a loser. God doesn't say that you're a failure. God says that you are a sinner who he has done something for to save and restore. Defeat the accuser. Read Romans 8.33, which says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So when you feel those things, when you experience those things, what you do is you agree to a degree. You go, yes. That is sinful. Yes, that is not right. However, that does not mean my relationship with God is in trouble. In fact, thank you, enemy, for pointing out a flaw in which I wish to turn to my Savior and thank him for redeeming me and saving me. Though he sees all things, he loves me. Though I am fully known by him, he fully accepts me. So I want to come back to my Savior more and more because he becomes more and more beautiful. So the more the enemy actually points out my sin, the worse it works for him. Because it actually makes me love Jesus more. Because I'm like, man, he can love a wretch like me. He can love someone like me. And he does. He loves someone like you. And some of us, we get these thoughts in our mind that we are too far gone for God. This is Paul writing this. His whole life was set on persecuting and killing followers of Jesus. That was his mission. And yet he says, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. He loves me and he redeemed me. Another example, maybe temptation. One of my biggest things that I've struggled with in my life that probably has that more shame connection to is anger. I uh, had kids and all of a sudden, for some reason, stuff in my heart just started to come up that was just like, it was rage. And I'm like, what is, 
what is this? Where is this coming from? Some of you uh, know this experience firsthand. And I would feel so guilty and so ashamed at the way I was feeling about my kids and the way that I would talk to my kids. Does any other parent here know what I'm even talking about? Okay, we've got a few, few righteous people putting up their hands going, Amen, brother, you preach it. You take the, you take the hits for us, bad parents, okay? <laughs> and I was just getting angry and angry and angry. Now, I had to defend myself from the accusations of the enemy of going, You're a horrible father. Look at you. Kids are going to grow up way more messed up than you are. And you're messed up. So I had to protect myself from that and say, that's not true. But I also had to protect myself from the fact that it's not okay to stay angry. That I had to move from the imputed sense to the imparted and go, what's going on in my heart? Because I don't want to stay angry. I don't want to keep getting angry. So I started to work out. Stuff that God had worked in. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So I had to confess. I had to talk. I actually went and saw a therapist and got some counseling. It was like, something is going on in here that I don't understand because my kids... They're not doing anything that really coincides with what is coming out of this. I had to have conversations with my wife. I had to have conversations with pastors and elders and bring it out into the light and go, I know I'm fine with Jesus. I know he loves me. I know this does not accept me. However, I don't want to keep being angry. I want to work out purity and gentleness and kindness so one thing, and I want to encourage you maybe to consider doing this, one thing we have started doing with our family over the past few years is we pick a fruit of the Spirit that we work on every term. So at night when I pray with my kids, go with Gigi. All right, Gigi, what's, what's your fruit of the Spirit? And there are two things I want to encourage you to do with this, right? One, we identify where she fell short in the day. It's like, where were opportunities for you to do it and where didn't you do it? And then I constantly get her, great, now let's just confess that to Jesus and we're, we're fine. And then we celebrate where she did do it. Often in my experience, we always look at where we fail and then we keep just saying, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we forget to actually go, hang on, but we did it here, we did it here, we did it here, and we need to celebrate the fact that God is working in our hearts. Does that make sense? It's so important to celebrate the victories because that is the Spirit of God working from within and out. And so my kids have been working on Different fruits of the Spirit for terms. I've been working on the fruit of the Spirit of self-control for a decade. And even my kids, literally about three or four weeks ago, sat around a table and they said, Dad, it's been ages since you've been angry. I heard that from my kids' mouths and it brought little onion tears to my eyes. And I celebrated, man, God has, God has grown me. This is why we need life groups, hey. Because you can sit in life groups and people can get to know you and then they can kind of go, hey, you're winning. You've grown. You couldn't do this four months ago, six months ago, a year ago. Look at, look at you. Look how much you've changed. And in your struggle, hey, we're still praying for you. We're going to keep going with that, that victory. Another example could be uh, things with body issues. I had this recently with one of my kids. 
where they were struggling with how they looked and they were comparing themselves to other kids. And so we're just like, cool, we're just going to read through Psalm 139 every single night and we're going to quote it and quote it and quote it and quote it and quote it. Now one of my kids can quote to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And they, over time, have had this thing about how they look, which has been shifted and now beaten by righteousness, right standing with God, that God made me how I look, and he designed me exactly how he wants me to look, and I'm secure in how I look. And now I have this rightness, which allows me now to walk around and not feel insecure. And so probably with that particular child, that's probably going to be something we're going to keep on going on and going on and going on. What are the things in your life? What are the areas where the enemy is trying to get in and tempt you? Is it purity? Is it lying? Is it gossip? What are the things? Fight against these things. Wrestle against these things and stand in the truth that no matter how you go with those things, your God loves you and has already died on the cross for you. And I want to finish with just this last section from the book of Corinthians. As the band came up, it says this. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Some of you need to hear that. Your past is gone. It is dealt with. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. God's not sitting here and looking at all of your sins, and every time you think about him, he's like, uh-uh-uh, oh, I know, oh, I know, oh, I heard. That's not God. God's not doing that. And entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Listen to this. We implore you. Be reconciled. If you are experiencing this today, be reconciled today. Come again afresh anew to God today and stand in the freedom that it means to be a Christian, which is your past is done. It is dealt with and you are made right with God. Experience that today. Feel it again. And then allow that to motivate you to live like that. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 